mi gente, it's your girl Dalis Jasmine and welcome to Hello Latino. Today's guest is Edwin Porres Jr. He was born in Guatemala and raised in West Virginia and he said he always dreamed of making movies so he moved to LA. He studied screenwriting, acting, producing and at USC and LACC. And as a Latino in the US, he said he didn't recognize himself in stereotypical Latino roles depicted by Hollywood and I'm sure you can guess which ones he's talking about. Narcos, the Latin lover, the funny sidekick, El Criminal, or sea, that list goes on. But for him, he wanted to reflect his experiences in Hollywood, so he started writing Holly Weird. And then he met his wife, Jamie, who you'll meet during our Cafecito and Chisme portion. And together, they finished the script, they took out loans, and they produced the movie. This episode is all about the facts, about Latinos, about Hollywood, about what it's like to navigate Latinidad as a Latino with a gringo accent, as Edwin calls himself. Que disfruten esta conversación. Let's jump in. We're going to start recording. Sure. Loosen, loosen. <laughs> Let's like dance it off. No, I'm, let me just start by saying I'm really excited to have both of you, Edwin and Jamie. Jamie, I know you're going to come in toward the end during our cafecito and cheese minute, but I'm really excited to talk to you, Edwin, and focus this first half of the conversation really on your story because when you reached out to me, that was probably the best message I've ever gotten. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I have so many questions, <laughs> which we're going to unpack together in this conversation. Cool, cool. But I want to start right off the bat by saying I watched Holly Weird. Thank you. And <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I mean, there's there's so many parts where I was like, this is like, this is what I talk about on my pod all the time. It's like that first gen struggle. It's like, not be not feeling Latino enough when you're clearly Latino or like there's so much we, we're gonna unpack it together of course but I'm just so grateful that you introduced me to this you reached out that you want to be on this podcast that you want to tell this audience about it because I just feel like they'll see themselves in this film and just I mean on the other on another note the storyline the cinematography the irony like all of it is so well done just kudos Quick kudos to both of you. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Um, it's, it was a monumental struggle and continues to be. And uh, we put our best foot forward. And, uh, you know, we're proud of it. We're, we're proud of the movie. And we we want to, we think like what you said, it, a lot of people can relate to it. A lot of Latinos, a lot of first gens. And mm -hmm. we're, we're here to, uh, to talk about it. Yes, yes. And before we do... I want to jump into your story, Edwin, because I think this is all going to connect naturally once we progress into our, our second portion of the conversation. But first, I want to start with you because you are a Latino. And I want to start with the first question that I always ask every single guest, and it's how do you identify and why? Well, it's changed through the years. So I would say it's kind of a, a fluid thing. But for me, I consider myself Latino, Guatemalan, American, uh, simply because uh, I was born in, in Guatemala and I spent the first two years of my life there. Uh, my parents did the best they could, keeping the culture, you know, the language. I mean, my like when I reached out to you, I told you I speak Spanish fluently, but it is with a 
with a gringo accent. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> and so I think, you know, I have the culture, the Latino side, the Guatemalan side is there. Um, I grew up in the U.S. and that's shaped a lot of my views, a lot of my interactions, a lot of my experiences, a lot of who I am. So at this point in my life, I'm proudly both. I really want to unpack that with you because I, I think it's an important thing that you, that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, probably they feel this all the time where they're like, well, I speak Spanish, but sometimes it does come out with a gringo accent, right? And when you reached out and you said that, and I was like, oh my God, like how many people feel that way? Like, yeah, I speak Spanish. It's just, I got a different type of accent and it's not totally Guatemalan, you know, it's like not totally this or not totally that, but I still speak Spanish. But how was that for you navigating, you know, like these two worlds of being Latino, Guatemalan, and also being American, like for you speaking Spanish fluently, being, being, you know, born in Guatemala, how was that experience for you? It, it was, you know, it, it was challenging when I think about it. Today, like I told you before, I'm nervous. I haven't done anything where I speak this amount of time about myself, I think maybe ever. So I was doing a lot of reflecting. And yeah, I think it was challenging with Spanish being my first language. And I learned it when I went to kindergarten. You know, I knew a little bit of English and then slowly but surely the English took over and I've done different things through my life I think that's why I told you I see it as kind of fluid when I when I got to West Virginia um, that wasn't our first stop but that's where we settled again and when I got to West Virginia I wanted to I wanted to fit in more when I was younger it didn't really I didn't really notice it that there was a difference between you know, I, I was Latino, I was from Guatemala, and, you know, most of the people uh, were otherwise. So, but the older I got, I, I felt that the differences were there more. And um, I, I lacked the family here, you know, those types of connections. So I, there was a point in my life that I, I wanted to assimilate more. I, I, I became, you know, I wanted to be, Gringo. <laughs> I wanted to be more of a gringo. And um, I've gone back and forth with that. I, I would say I, I, was, I was teased, you know, in school. And, you know, I teased back, like I told you, it was a big melting pot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a while, I, I <laughs> just thinking about a story about my mom, but for a while, I... I actually said that uh, I was from Spain. Oh, really? Yeah, I uh, I said, uh, like, uh, I would say I was from Spain because it was more relatable. You know, a lot of people didn't know where Guatemala was. And right. there was a more of a, I thought at the time, more of a prestige, more of a, a known factor about Spain. So. It, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. Being, I think just being young. All you want to do, no matter where you're from, is fit in, right? You want to make friends. You want to be likable. And I think when you feel so different, 
you know, when you're from a different country, when you're from a different culture, you're, you have a different experience, your otherness starts to feel like a bad thing. It's like, well, I, I need to do everything I can to fit in, even if that means saying I'm from Spain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, it was interesting because I, through my life, I've had family. We didn't return to Guatemala for many years. A part of that was getting our papers together. And, but we did have family visit us. And I felt that having my grandparents, which I was very close to when we left, they visited us through the years, having them come back and visit, having like some of my cousins, I felt I started to connect more to, to my culture, to, to who I am. As time went on, and it wasn't until college, I, I, I attended Xavier University at first, and there I, I took a trip by myself to Guatemala, and that's when I reconnected with everything. I reconnected with family I hadn't seen for a long time. I, I, felt, I felt I was Guatemalan, and I, I was proud of it. That, that, that changed things for me. From that point on, I was, I was Guatemalan. That's huge. When you get to reconnect and feel that part of your identity again, right? Like that's a powerful feeling. And so that makes me happy for you. I don't know when this happened, but I think that's an amazing thing that you were able to just reconnect and feel all of your identities, right? Because you just said right now, you are proud to identify as a Latino Guatemalan American, like that is a big thing. And so I think so many people feel that, especially, and I'm gonna highlight what you, something that you said, no one knew where Guatemala was. That happens to a lot of people, right? Like not a lot of people know about Central American countries. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I remember going through school and they'd be like, what are you again, Hungarian? Or And I'm like, Hungarian. <laughs> And they're like, where is that? Do you still speak Spanish? And I'm like, yes, yes. And it's like, it's almost like, I don't know if you ever felt this, but I would sometimes get like, I mean, I guess it depends on like the mood I was in. I would either like educate them and I'd be so excited to, or I'd be just like so exhausted. Like, I'm not going to explain this to you. <laughs> and I would just kind of get tired, right? Of having to re-explain your identity to people so it makes sense to them, but it's also another side of it that's like empowering. Like I get to educate you on something that's really near and dear to me. But as a kid, I didn't think that I was just annoyed. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and like I told you, for a period of time in my life, I I hid it. I I I would dare to say I was embarrassed by it. And thank God, I, like I said, I reconnected with who I am, who my family is, what my heritage is, and, and I love it. Yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I know it's hard. It was hard for you to say that, like embarrassed by where you're from. But I think so many people, so many first gen, so many immigrants who come here sometimes kind of feel that way, right? Because of just environment, of just trying to fit in, just trying to hustle, grind, make ends meet. Like they're just, they're just trying to live life and have a better life. And so sometimes, yeah, it could feel that way. And so I'm glad you said that because I know there's someone listening that might have felt that, you know, at some point during their childhood. I wonder how it would have been if I would have grown up in L.A. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, it would have gone that way or that much. But like, like I told you, I felt I felt kind of isolated in West Virginia to a degree. Like I told you, there's some wonderful people there. You know, I made wonderful friends, but inside, I 
I felt isolated. If I had been growing up here, who knows? Maybe things would have been different. Um, but right, right. And so let's let's backtrack. So let's start from the beginning and how you ended up at West Virginia. Not West, West Virginia, Virginia. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah, uh, ironically, <laughs> you know, like, I was thinking of the song. <laughs> That's oh, why I paused. Cool. Oh yeah, the the John Denver song. Is that the one you were thinking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ironically <laughs> enough, uh, in the U.S., there's people that don't know where West Virginia is. Um, kind of to go with what you were saying, for me, I had a double fold. Uh, you know, being from Guatemala, mm. people didn't know where that was. Being from West Virginia, people thought that was literally the western part of Virginia. So uh, I kind of had a double whammy there. Oh man. Oh man. I like want to impact that so much with you right now <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure. Well, okay. Well, let's let, let's go to the beginning because I feel like I can answer my own question just by hearing more of your story. But from the beginning, what do you remember from Guatemala to West Virginia? And then I'd love to know the connection between West Virginia to you going sure. to LA. And I'm sure there's so much in between there. But let's start yeah. from the beginning of how you ended up. Yeah, in, sure. In West Virginia. So I was born in Guatemala. I spent the first two years of my life there. My parents. They lived with uh, my abuelitos from from my mom's side. Up until then, my dad he my dad had a dream. He he's a doctor, and he always wanted to come to the U.S. and practice medicine. So he got the opportunity to do his mm -hmm. residency uh, first in Omaha, and then in Chicago, and then we could have ended up in Chicago. Actually, it's funny I was talking about, about how things would be if I would have ended up here in LA, but uh, he chose, he got, another, he got an opportunity as well in West Virginia. So he took that one. He thought it was, he wanted more of a suburban life for, for us. And uh, when we moved, uh, my, my brother was uh, 14 days old at the time. So yeah, that's how we ended up in West Virginia. And uh, I left uh, West Virginia for Cincinnati, that's where I started college at Xavier University. And growing up, I, I always wanted to be an actor. It was my dream. It's just something I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to be in some sort of film or I, I love movies. I dreamed of playing the characters, being the characters in movies. And so I, while at Xavier, I started taking acting classes and I, I was a background actor for some of the Xavier Players productions. I, I, I wanted to go for it. I, I heard an ad for UCLA. They had a, a summer session. I, I convinced my parents, <laughs> uh, knowing that I would probably stay out here. You know, I'm kind of jumping everywhere. That's kind of how I am today, at least. At, at Xavier, I was a biology major. I, I, I had, I think, an internal pressure to be a doctor like my dad or to be that, that kind of a professional. And it, it just wasn't for me. It, it's not what I wanted to do. So I ended up in LA and uh, eventually transferred to USC. I graduated from USC. And then I took film classes at LACC and uh, Santa Monica College. And I started making films uh, while I was there, both of those places, actually. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know all that. <laughs> Clearly, right? I'm learning about you as, as the conversation goes by. <laughs> but I that that's amazing. And there I have one question because this is this is the one thing I was thinking about as you were telling me this story. But what what did your parents think? Because so, so much of me, like, and I don't want to stereotype 
all Latinos or all immigrants that come here. But I know you having that pressure of, you know, wanting to be like your dad or, you know, being a doctor, having one of those professions. I also think there's a pressure as a first generation to like make a lot of money and to, you know, like do, do what's practical. Right. Definitely. So how, how was that? Like, how did you explain to them? Like, I want to be an actor. Did they like understand? Did they support it? Were they like, what in the world are you doing, Edwin? Like, yeah. <laughs> like how did they, how did they <laughs> uh, I mean, it's gone back and forth, but yeah, I, I mean, I remember, I mean, I was really young. I, I told my dad I wanted to be an actor and, you know, he, he, he told me, you know, kind of like, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I, early on, they didn't accept it. My, my dad more so. But as I got older and they realized I was serious, they realized that this is what I wanted to put all my efforts in, my heart in, they supported me. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, yeah, I had a pressure to, to, you know, I thinking back, biology, biology. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, looking back on that, I took zoology, I took, oh, man. I took, I took all these classes like genetics and you know, those are great classes, and but it it just wasn't me. I I, th- I thought I thought right. I would get used to it and just do it enough, and that would be my life. But uh, it wasn't. I mean, my, my parents, my dad, my mom, both. When I decided to stay, they couldn't have been more supportive. Oh, I'm. I think I think that's what they see, right? They see you really going after that dream, and they're like, "All right." like whatever they got going on, like they have a plan and they have that passion. And I think at the end of the day, like parents are always going to support that. Even though at the beginning, I think sometimes decisions can be like critiqued a little bit by Latino parents, especially I think like, I just think of my parents and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like they always are so well-intentioned. They mean so well, but they can hella judge. <laughs> like, what? Why do you want to do that? Or like, what is this, you know? What does this mean? What about stability? What about this? What about that? And did you did you feel yourself like in that push and pull? And I'm just kind of thinking like you already had that with your identity, right? With being Guatemalan and wanting to be Spanish and wanting to be gringo <laughs> and being from West Virginia and you know like all of these things were kind of in this push and pull for you. Did you also feel that with this decision of acting or doing something that's more practical or what your parents want or were you like no I want acting and like this is this is what I'm doing definitely I I wanted to come out to LA when I was younger you know but I I chose Xavier because one it was Catholic two it was close to home and three like I said I I thought that if I could I don't know I I, th- I thought I would do it. I thought if I would study hard enough, I thought that I would develop a passion for it. But I've always had the internal, some sort of internal struggle, like, like you were saying. For me, it was like I, I wanted, you know, I-, I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I, I wanted to go that that direction. I think mm-hmm. for them, it, <laughs> it it would have been easier, you know, in, in some ways, and. The, the the pull and tug and push what you were talking about. I mean, my parents were extremely supportive with me moving here, but you know, as time went on and there was, you know, some, some tugging. <laughs> some pushing. 
<laughs> right. And, so. and sometimes it's all internal too, right? It's just like your own, you're just spinning. Like, is this the right move? And you just kind of have that self-doubt, but you tap into your passion. Like, trust me, I I, I feel it. So I feel like I, I like can empathize with you on that front. And I know a lot of people go through it, especially and, you know, I'm speaking for our community, like Latinos, first gens, there's a different type of pressure when it comes to the first gen experience, especially because there's already so much layered on top of making a life decision in terms of career. But there's so much more, right? There's like identity and all this other internal things that we're dealing with. And so I, I always I just I, I love our community's resilience for for that, for that reason. And I love how. I mean, I just looking at you now, I mean, Edwin, you made a whole movie like that's (laughs) like that's amazing. And a movie that represents your community and the experience that I know you went through. And so, well, first of all, I want to make a comment because when you said biology, it gave me PTSD because that's the only class I've ever failed in my life. (laughs) And I was thinking about that. I was I was literally thinking about how much I hated biology. Like I'm sure it's an amazing class for people who love that part of life, (laughs) but it was not for me either. And I remember it, I'm gonna go into this story just so you can get to know me a little more. But I remember I I spent so much of my life in low income schools, right? Like my, my elementary and my middle school were really low income. Um, and they were under underfunded, like that's, that's really what it was. And so I was learning like things that probably people my age, like, like they were way ahead of me. And so like, I was probably like three, three years behind, probably more. And so when we moved to a different part of town, that was a little more middle-class E, I went to a really good high school. And I remember my very first class was biology. (laughs) And I was like, what in the world is going on right now? Like I was so lost. And on top of that, they put me in honors biology because I don't know who thought I was smart enough to be in that class at the time, but I was so lost. And I remember just feeling so dumb. Like I felt so dumb and everyone knew what was going on. They're like, oh, we learned this in middle school. And I was like, well, I didn't learn this. (laughs) Like I didn't even have like, a science class that I could remember. And I was probably using like one of those fake scissors that kindergartners use. Like I, I like had no real science background until I got to that biology class and I completely failed it. Like none of it made sense to me. I was guessing all the time. I was like, what is life? <laughs> and so I remember having to retake it and I just studied my ass off to try to get an A and I did not get an A in honors biology. I got an A in regular biology, but I was still like, I did it. But just, I wanted to talk about that because it's, it's interesting, right? How we put ourselves in these situations or we're put in these situations where we're kind of out of our comfort zone. It's not something that comes natural to us. It's not something that we, it's not something that we love. Like when they put me in a writing class, like I was like, in it. I was like, yes, like I, this makes sense to me. I love it. I love words. Like, let me do it. But in science, every science class that I was in Edwin was like terror. I was like, I don't, I can't <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, uh, believe it or not. I, I mean, I felt the same way. <laughs> except except I, yeah. I, yeah. I convinced myself 
I force myself to keep going. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah. But something you said, I, I, it really hit a chord with me. And that's, I don't think I've painted a whole accurate picture of like my family coming over here. You know, it's, it's a lot of information. Like I told you today, going through it, uh, I've been working on it and reflecting on it. And this connected to the movie and just my past, and, you know, mm-hmm. just different looking at things now, reflecting on things differently. But when we came over here, I mean, we were, we were pretty like pretty low income people. I mean, my, my dad, you know, I think uh, I'm really proud of him. I'm really proud of both of my parents. He, he, he fought his whole way. I mean, nothing was given to him. And, uh, you know, when, when I came over here, I, I didn't speak the language well. And I actually had to have special tutoring for, I think it was like, gosh, for, for several months because, uh, because of that. So going back to what you said, I, I feel you. It's part of the experience and it makes us who we are. And I, you know, although in the moment I hated it and I just, again, it's going back to that otherness, right? Like you just feel so different. You feel so out of place. You feel so like, it feels like you don't belong in the space. And I think this is a perfect segue into Hollywood, Holly weird. Um, but Hollywood first, because I want to know about how your experience relates to this movie. So let's switch gears into our cafecito and cheese portion. So Jamie, come in. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. You know, going back to that otherness, and, and this is this is why I created this podcast. This is why I love our community of Latinos, of first gens, of just our, our people. Like there's so much resilience that we have and so much that so much fight in us right like we're just like natural hustlers and fighters and we we get to the places we want to go to and and it's just all through drive because like you said like your dad nothing was given to him but he he made it and i'm sure nothing was given to you either and so i i I have this appreciation for our community and while i was watching your movie i was thinking about just the otherness again it's it's like twofold it's like thinking of one of the characters and his his push and pull of like I need to be Latino enough, you know, to be in these in these roles, but he doesn't speak that way. <laughs> like he doesn't say ese like naturally. Right. But and then this other actor comes in and just kind of fakes his whole identity, and he he's not even Latino and gets his Latino role. There was so much to unpack in that moment because I'm like, so many Latinos just feel different. They feel that other, especially first gens, right? Being pulled in these two different cultures, feeling that otherness, feeling so different and feeling like you don't belong. It, it kind of, it sucks, right? For a long time. And you just try to find your groove and try to find your place. And to be, I can't even imagine with all the rejection that is in Hollywood. And you can talk a little bit more about that. I can't imagine feeling that all the time after like auditions that are for your community. It's like, no, you're not Latino enough. And it's like, what? <laughs> Like I am though. So I, I will stop talking there. I really want both of you to, because both of you wrote, directed, and produced this movie, Holly Weird. So let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. But first, for anyone who hasn't seen it or heard of it, what would you tell them it's about? And why would they, why should they see it? Simply put, 
Holly Weird is a brown facing comedy. Why should anybody see the movie? Be because I mean, it's well, I'll let, J I'll let Jamie jump in as well. But <laughs> I know, I know. So it's basically a movie about two actors going for the same role, and one is told he's not Latino enough for the role that he wants, and another one, like you said, fakes it basically, and it gets the world and gets everything, and that's that's what the movie's about, and the stereotypes that they have in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the. The Alejandro character, you know, he, he literally steps out of Scarface. I mean, he has a very stereotypical Cuban accent, and he's instantly discovered that, you know, for this role that that both actors are up for. And so, the movie—it's a fun movie. It's it's an it is. I can vouch for that. <laughs> it's entertaining. It's funny, and it, it talks about a real issue. The real issue is. There's a diversity problem, and especially for Latinos, I think there's some statistics you know we looked into before we made the movie. And in a nutshell, I mean, in a nutshell, things are getting better for minorities as far as representation in a movie. But Latinos, they lag. We're 18.3% of the U.S. population, but we're 3% of the leads in movies, 5% of speaking roles, only 4% of directors, 4.7% of feature writers, 8.7% of TV writers. And yeah, oh, wow. and the statistic that really got me at least is that 61.9% of characters, of Latino characters in movies are involved in some sort of illegal activity. So, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, like USC and UCLA, they do these studies about minorities in movies, uh, you know, every year. And that, that's what they, they go through, like all the roles and, you know, what what um, ethnicity are they, where are they from, and what kind of character are they? And that's what they found, that like 61.9% of Latino characters are like gangbangers or drug dealers or doing something illegal. <sighs> You know, it like doesn't surprise me at the same yeah. time because it, when I scroll through Netflix, what do I see? El Chapo, Narcos. Right. I see yeah. all these, even like novelas, right? Like someone's in a drug gang, yeah. like someone. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and it's funny because even my parents and I talked about that. We're like, why does every, because, you know, when quarantine hit, we were doing a lot of movie <laughs> nights, a lot of novela binge, like we were doing all that. And at one point we asked each other, like, why does everything have narcos in it? Like, yes, we watch it. It's interesting, but that's not all we offer. Like, that's not all we are. Yeah. Absolutely. So the statistics surprises me. At the same time, though, I'm like, I mean, I guess it makes sense, unfortunately. And, and like I told you, I mean, for minorities in general, minorities are 42% of the population. Uh, minorities together, all together, make 32.7% of all major film roles. So that's good. But... Latinos, mm -hmm. we're being left out of it. I, I feel we're not being included enough. So that's part of the reason yeah. we made this movie. It's a satire. You know, we wanted to present it in a comedic way. Right? That, that there, there is a problem, and I want change. I don't know how. So <laughs> I, right. I, I don't know. Right. We all do. We all do. <laughs> no, and I. And you and, and and this again is like a big kudos to both of you because you you wrote this movie in a way that's so digestible, 
you know, it's not in your face. Like we need change right now, but it's like, yes, I mean, we need change and you can see it clearly in this, in this very probably everyday situation that happens with Latino actors in LA. And on that note, I want to know what inspired this film because I know you want change. And I also know you were an actor in LA. How much of your story is, is in this and how much of it inspired this film? So growing up in West Virginia, I felt that I wasn't gringo enough. Here, moving here, being an actor, people wanted me to be more Latino. So that's a dichotomy. I, how can I be more Latino? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we come in different forms and different shades and different experiences. So that's my driving force behind the movie. And like you said, I wanted to make it in a fun way that it would be entertaining that would that would bring up the topic in, in, in conversation and I think we showed a good message the message being that Latinos all minorities really they need more opportunities to make their own content mm-hmm. one thing one thing that I oh man I always forget her name she's a she's an actress and she she said something that I think is is perfect for what we're talking about she said nothing for us if it's not written by us Mm. so i'm sure so many and she said it way more elegantly than i just did (laughs) it was like a a really beautiful saying but you know like but i mean it's it's true and it, it goes back to what you're talking about right like i i'm even curious like how many of these latino films are written by latinos like I don't know if you have that number, if you know, yeah, but 4.7. like who's, 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 sure. wait, what so is like it? 4.7% of movies are written by Latinos and 8.7% of TV writers are Latino. There's actually like a, a letter that just came out where they were trying, they, uh, like the Latino community was, in, you know, in Hollywood was trying to, to push for more Latinos behind the scenes too, like more writers. Cause I guess a lot of the Latino writers are, they're on sh- shows like as a token and they don't actually, they're not the lead writer and they don't get opportunities to become lead writers, but they're there so they can say they have a Latino on staff and that kind of thing happens a lot. So I feel like I saw this somewhere yeah. too. This was like a big topic. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, I'm just curious, like who's writing the narratives for us? Like how do we get more of Edwin's <laughs> and Jamie's in this space? And I, you know, it just, where's the pipeline for that, for our community to like, succeed in this area. And Edwin, you you mentioned something really important. And you said, Latinos come in all different shades, shapes, all of it. And I think this is the problem with what Latinidad represents in the media, or what the media represents of Latinidad, right? Or what the entertainment industry and the entertainment world represents of, of Latinos. Like, I, I think of, I mean, I just, I really think of like Afro-Latinos, and you know where do where do they fit in? They are Latinos, and so where do they fit into these these narratives? And I've I've heard actresses like Dasha Polanco. She's talked about this plenty of times. She's um, Orange is the New Black. That's where she she's yeah. from. But she talks about that experience of like she walks into into like a, a an audition, and they're like well, what are you like? <laughs> like, you don't make sense. Like you're not, you don't sound like you're, you're black, but you also don't sound like you're, or you don't look like you're Latina. And she's like, what? 
And, you know, having to, again, explain your identity to people who don't get it. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's so tiring for people of different communities. Like, you know, I'm just thinking of like Peru, you know, Asian, Asian Latinos, like they're, that exists too. Indigenous, like, you know, there's, there's so many layers and there's so much beauty in the mosaic of Latinidad, but how many times are we even exposed to that diversity? Almost never. Right. And so I, you know, there's just, there's so much to unpack there and there's so much that, you know, as a consumer, I see, right. And as someone who's like constantly trying to find myself represented and so many people who grow up in this world trying to see themselves represented too, I know they feel that. So I just, again, big kudos to both of you for pulling this data together, for creating a movie that is going to spark conversation and change and for, again, being here and talking about it. But I, I want to know how you both collaborated on this. I think that's so amazing that a husband and wife collaborated on creating this story. And there's so much that you told me happened <laughs> during that time. And so much I want to know, like, how? How did you simply, you know, how did you write this film? How did you? Yeah. Let's just let's just start there before I ask too many questions. Yeah. But <laughs> well, Ed had pretty much he he started it before we even met, but it was uh, not quite the same. Like it's changed a lot since then. So when we got married, we actually kind of knew we were going to make a movie. That was part of like almost in our vows, practically. <laughs> so we were going to make a movie. But uh, so we you know we started working together, writing it. You know he would write, I would help him revise it, put it together, try to you know, and we kind of decided to emphasize more of the like Latino thing that, cause that was coming up so much in the news and, you know, having more of that storyline. Cause originally it was, it was yeah. a little bit different, but. It was originally, it was different. And <clears throat> we structured it that way just because of, you know, everything we, we, we said about the lack of inclusivity with Latinos. And I just wanted to say one more thing, actually, that, you know, part of like I think my drive and my passion for, for this topic is that film and TV they're so powerful. If if the minorities that we see on the screen, if if they're like dehumanized, if they're cardboard characters, and this can lead to racism, it can lead to discrimination and even aggression towards these minorities. Um, and one thing I wanted to also say is like, ironically, uh, through those studies that we mentioned before, they found that films with more diversity make more money. Oh, what a concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> like globally, well, yeah, they make more money. But I think Jamie, Jamie and I work well together. I, Jamie's so talented. I mean, she, she, she's very humble, but she is a wonderful- Wait, this is so cute. <laughs> She's she's a great artist. I'm I struggle. <laughs> it takes me a long time and to get everything out. And I think Jamie and I work well together because she's she's so natural and things come easy for her that it, it blends well. Can can we take a pause? I want to know how you guys met <laughs> because you said you were working on this film before you met, and then it was like kind of like in your vows, like yeah, we're gonna make a movie together. Like it is what it is. <laughs> oh yeah, well. I, I had I had started the film before we met, but um, 
Jimmy, you, you want to? Well, we met. It was actually eHarmony. It was how we met. We met eHarmony. <laughs> oh, that's wait. That's so cute. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you were both in L.A. Day. at the time? We were. He was in Valencia, so a little yeah. bit outside of L.A., but yeah. And we met at the, this coffee bean in Westwood and, you know. Which is current, which is now. No longer no there. No longer there. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And her sister lived out here, actually. Her sister. In Valencia. In so, Valencia. Yeah. So it, <laughs> he thinks that if she hadn't lived out here, we wouldn't have ever met because I wouldn't have, you know, the ge- what is it, geographically undesirable because he was too far away. But... <laughs> Yeah, that's a chance, so. <laughs> and I, I, I'm so blessed for that, honestly. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm, you know, shout out to eHarmony. <laughs> <laughs> what's it, what's it, doctor's name? I don't remember, doctor. It's doctor something. Thank you for that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and you and did you both bond over just films and and this topic we just clicked and i don't even think we talked about movies really i mean he talked about how he was he wanted to make movies but we didn't really talk about working together on it at first oh okay. we just clicked yeah uh, it, it then, was a, a it was it was like we knew each other yeah we had a lot in common we both wanted to find our best friend and that's one thing that that's that's love right there just for everyone listening in (laughs) it's possible for all of us (laughs) well you know i I just wanted to know because i'm a sucker i love love so i wanted to know about it but i going back to holly weird and i don't want to divert too much into that topic or else but you know talking about holly weird you guys so you told me a, a little story when you reached out about how you were making this movie, trying to, you know, get it distributed and releasing. And did all this happen during the pandemic? Did all this happen like in the midst of a pandemic or was it just like obstacles were happening in life while you were trying to get this movie up and running? I mean, some of the obstacles happened in the pandemic, but the filming was about four years ago now. It took us way before. It's an ultra low budget movie. It's an indie movie. And Takes a while. <laughs> we, yeah, we filmed it in October, November, two thousand sixteen, and you know, yeah, oh. I I completed the movie. When was it? Um, we like, gave it the, like a, about in March. Remember, is when yeah, I yeah March or so. We actually March of last year. Though. Yeah, yeah, and got distribution last summer. Uh, right, actually, we were in the hospital. I was about to have our second baby when we found out we had distribution. So, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> So, and, then the, and then the pandemic happened. So it changed a lot of things for us. But Right. And and what is this deal with the rattlesnake? I have to ask. So one of the days we were filming, we're at this pl- uh, park called Stony Point. It's up here. It's this beautiful park that has these giant rocks and people go rock climbing there. And um, we it was just a crazy day. We had um, the film LA. They had like a monitor on set with us and they were just causing us all kinds of trouble. Like our, our PAs pulled out a drone just to play with on their break. And they like called us yelling at us because we weren't allowed, we weren't authorized to have a drone. And we're like, they didn't even turn it on, but we're getting yelled at. And it was just a crazy day and we were losing the light and we were running the, the out of outfit, time. The outfit changed. Like there was like a problem. With yeah. Our plot, we lost, we lost a major prop and we also like, they messed up the outfits and we're like, it was just a crazy day. And then in the middle of it, our two actors are in these rocks and they can they hear a rattlesnake. Like this baby rattlesnake was right next to them. I remember this scene. Yeah, that one. So we had to stop filming. And one of our um, 
what Lewis did it right. One of the yeah, our guys the, the on first, set, first AD, yeah. our first AD basically had to like shoo this baby rattlesnake carefully away so they could finish filming before oh we lost God. the light. It was a crazy day. Yeah, Jasmine, every day was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a list of just I want to run by you. Just some some points. Uh, Okay, Let's hear here it. we go. And I'm going to, so our HOA decided to fumigate right before filming and we had to move out. Our washer dryer broke while we were on set and Jamie was pregnant. We had, she had to lug our clothes to the laundromat while we were on set. Nobody knew we were pregnant. We were up at the crack of dawn, home late, up early the next morning. We were sold a morning sickness yeah, on set. Jamie had morning sickness <laughs> on set. We were sold a permit. Oh, we were sold a permit to shoot. Then told, then we were told we couldn't shoot there. She was a full-time teacher. She would come to set afterwards. Uh, one of one of the crew people crashed our rental truck and tried to hide it from us. Uh, someone we don't really want to get into who blackmailed us for the location. Jamie had to leave work uh, right after work. She, she bit, bit, went to the bank, had to withdraw the cash. We had to give it to this person. The rattlesnake comes into play there. My foot went numb. Uh, I, I, I was working nights before I was a counselor at the time. I went back to work the next night after that we did like post-production and it, it was hard to get people. I mean, this is an ultra low budget movie, so it was hard to, to pay people, you know, what they were used to getting paid on their regular jobs. So they worked with us, but we, we were like side projects for most people. So they took extra time to get stuff done. Oh, yeah. Right. So it took forever. <laughs> we we had to we paid to, to have subtitles done. They were terrible. Uh, this is where the the whole Latino oh, yeah. thing comes in. Like I I, I had to redo the Spanish subtitles. I enlisted the help of my abuelita, my mom, and my dad. And together, together oh, we together we did it. Yeah. Um, because they're trying to make it fun. Like these people just basically did like a word to word translation and it didn't really, it wasn't funny. It didn't make sense. So they basically had to rewrite the whole movie in Spanish with the help of his abuelita and his mom. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, just been a crazy, the whole thing was crazy. And then COVID. Yeah. And then COVID on top and, of all And we had two kids in the middle of it. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's all I can say. That's insane. <laughs> But who who better equipped than someone who's gone through these situations uh, where you're just uncomfortable, but you know how to navigate it and resilience. And it, it goes back to all the things that I personally have so much pride in, in being part of the Latino community. And, you know, just and shout out to you, Jamie, being pregnant, having morning sickness, all those things like that. That's badass women right there. <laughs> And so just just snaps all around snaps. And I I think that's a great way to wrap up this conversation is that despite all of these things that you were going through, all these obstacles and and just crazy situations, you kept that passion, you kept that purpose, you kept that that desire for change. And you knew this film was that important and you and you followed through and you did it and you completed it doesn't matter how long it took or all the things that happened in between. I think it's just amazing that you still did the work. You put in the hard work. You made it happen. Rattlesnake bite and all. <laughs> <laughs> and you put this movie out because, again, it goes back to that passion. It goes back to your story. It goes back to so many things that we talked about in this conversation. And so 
from from every listener out there on behalf of them just thank you <laughs> thank you for for pulling through for doing all the things just to to yeah ask for this change that needs to happen because like you said film tv it's part of the culture it shapes the culture it's a really really important part of of yeah, of us right it's a really important part of what we consume because like you said if we if we keep seeing the same people this you know latinas are maids or they're or they're super like sexualized or they're this or that or if we see latinos who are usually gangbangers and usually like involved in narcos or just machista you know like if we see these same narratives keep playing over and over and over and over again how are we going to get change how are we going to teach our younger generations that there's more <laughs> there's more out there we are not the stereotype and i i just again applaud you for creating uh, this movie that represents that narrative and presents that need for change and also has people who are representative of our community <laughs> i think that's a great part of it too so just i'll end my rant there thank you thank you to both of you my last question for you before we go into our closing is how can people watch slash follow Holly Weird? The easiest way is to go to our website, which is hollyweirdthemovie.com. But currently we're playing on Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, YouTube, Vimeo On Demand. We're free. Free. <laughs> <laughs> we're free on Roku and Tubi. We're also on DirecTV. Uh, and we will be in, on iTunes in the near future and in the Latin American market, hopefully soon. Oh, snaps, snaps, snaps. I'm so excited for this movie, for everyone to watch it. My last thing, the last thing we do on the show, it's my favorite. I always say that every single episode, but truly this is my favorite part because it closes the conversation. And it's also, I'm a big believer in like manifestation. Like you put words out there, you put action behind it. It can really happen. And I feel like I already know your answer to this one, Edwin and Jamie, but I'm going to, I'm going to still ask you and give you an opportunity to close this conversation with the Brindis with me and which means a virtual cheers and together let's manifest some good for our Latino community. So Edwin and Jamie, what do you guys want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest for our community? I want to cheers to all the Latinos all the minorities who are going for it against against the odds. Yeah, and I, we have one of our daughters is like really into books and writing and we can imagine like someday she's going to be a writer and just hoping that things are better when she's, you know, a little Latino writer trying to write her own movie someday that like things will be, they'll, they'll, she'll have opportunities, you know? Yeah. Oh, cheers to that, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Salud. Y'all, yeah. I think it was the statistics for me that stood out the most, super crazy, but at the same time, not as surprising, but happy to know there are hella Latinos, pun intended, out there creating non-stereotypical narratives about us. As Diane Guerrero said, nothing about us without us. Muchísimas gracias for tuning in to today's episode con Edwin and Jamie Porres. Find out more info about Hollyweird at hollywoodthemovie.com. 
and look them up everywhere they're on facebook instagram twitter and youtube and see y'all next week for more cafecito and cheesemen connect with me on instagram at ojasmine twitter at oladis jasmine and find me on linkedin you can also check out my website oladisjasmine.com and con mucho amor con mi hondureña stick around to hear from my sponsor and partner chris gates co-founder of rise on Gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on.